and welcome in to another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. This is episode number 38. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer, and that's right, we have made it to the weekend. Congratulations, everybody. We made it to the weekend, and we get bonus points this week because it's Halloween. That's right. It's the most, uh, <laughs> the most nightmare of a year, and now we have to celebrate Halloween. I have a scary story for you. Imagine being locked in your home for nine months while a pandemic uh, ravages the country. Oh, well, we've been living that, actually. Huh. So I guess Halloween's not so scary after all. But yes, we made it. If you are, if you are celebrating, uh, I'm obliged to tell you to please celebrate safely. And if you're not, uh, don't be dumb and post, the pokes and post the pictures on Instagram. And then nobody will know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Celebrate safely. If you're doing that, we don't need, don't need any of that. Um, just, but it's important to have pleasure when we can during this pandemic, I think. Um, shouldn't stigmatize pleasure. And Halloween, traditionally, is a very fun holiday. And obviously, we can't do this year what we've done in years past, but if you're up for it, hopefully you're trying something, even if it's a, a Zoom costume show or something. And that could be pretty cool. You could strut and be your best self in front of the Zoom camera. I know I got a pretty good setup here. Uh, but looking forward to uh, our interview this week with Anthony Nicodemo who is a member of the Outsports family and uh, a returning guest to the show. He's, uh, he does a lot. He came out to Outsports in 2015 as a high school basketball coach. So he's a openly gay high school basketball coach in Westchester County, New York. He also is uh, an athletic director at Greenberg Northcastle High School right now, again, in Westchester County, New York. He's a teachers' union president and pertinent to us this week, given that the election is Tuesday. Um he has uh, been involved in politics for quite some time. Uh, he ran for New York State Assembly. He is currently the president of the Hudson Valley Stonewall Democrats. So I asked Anthony, why did you want to get into public service? What about it drew you? Why is it important for openly gay and LGBT people to be in public service? If I can toot my own horn, I had a good conversation with Brian Sims from Pennsylvania about that topic. Uh, you can read that piece on Outsports.com right now. So Anthony and I discussed that. We talk about the 2020 race, because what else do you talk about these days? And uh, we also talk about the schools, because as I mentioned, Anthony is a teachers union president. He's an athletic director, basketball coach. He's very much involved. And yeah, I just think it's disgraceful what's going on in this country with the schools. Boston last week, the latest to go all remote while positive test rates increase throughout the city. Uh, It's just really messed up priorities in this country that... Schools remain shuttered across the U.S. while casinos and restaurants operate with indoor dining. And I'm not advocating for another lockdown. I know how devastating the lockdown is and was and continues to be. But I am advocating for better policy that puts kids first. It should be inexcusable that kids are sitting home from school nine months now into a pandemic. That we haven't figured out a way to safely get this going um, is just... An utter failure on all parts. And as we talk about, as I talk about Anthony, uh, this didn't just happen with COVID. This has all been a long time coming. So uh, that conversation is on the other side. It's a Sports Kiki, episode 39. Thank you, as always, for listening. Welcome back to the show. It is uh, almost election eve, election eve weekend, if you will. And we bring back one of our returning champions, Anthony Nicodemo, who is the athletic director basketball coach at Greenberg North Castle High School in Westchester County, New York. He also is the president of the Stonewall Democrats. He's teachers union president. He's a very busy guy, very involved guy. 
and he's back here on the Sports Kiki. Anthony, how are you? Hey, Alex. How you doing, bud? Doing well, doing well. So I see on Twitter you've been back to school since Monday at Greenberg North Castle. Uh, how was the week? Oh, you know, it was another week. It's, it's, it's the reality that we're living in right now. Um, you know, we could pick up a case tomorrow and be closed for another two weeks. It's just how it is. Actually, one of our buildings um, went down on Monday. We had a positive case. Actually, my union vice president tested positive on Monday. And uh, just this afternoon, we got a confirmation of a second case in that building. So it's just, this is just the times you're living in, and you're going to try to do the best you can to limit the spread, but there's really no way to stop it. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, as teachers union president, what, what has it been like the last several months uh, with your district? Did you start in person, start remote, hybrid, take, take the listeners through kind of uh, the last two months? So we went back a full because we're a special education school. Our, right. our uh, class classes are generally small. We usually don't have more than eight or 10 kids in a class. So you're able to follow the state and CDC guidelines pretty safely. Um, so, you know, that, that wasn't that bad. And, you know, we opened safely for the first month and then we caught a case in our building. And it just so happens that it was someone that was in my room. So I was, you know, I was forced to quarantine. Um, God. But our district has done a really good job with the safety plan and my superintendent has closed and, you know, she closes immediately for two weeks if we catch a case. And that's refreshing because a lot of schools around here are not doing that. I've watched schools catch cases and open the next day. So I think the Department of Health allowing school districts to make those decisions isn't right. I think it's a problem. I think people think politically, you know, you have people who don't believe this thing is real. And then you have uh, administrators who take a lot of pressure from the parents. So I think there needs to be some kind of a standard procedure on what happens when there's a positive case and how long you should shut for. But unfortunately, we haven't gotten to that point yet. You know, it's still it's still a battle. So New York leaves it entirely up to the districts. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, there's supposed to be the tracing and this and that. And they've, they've done well with the tracing. It seems like they're definitely erring on the side of caution. And they're pretty much um, quarantining everybody who is in proximate contact, which what they were not doing in the summer when we had our summer breakout. So they're definitely doing a better job of that. I just think that leaving it up to administrators is just, uh, you know, a, a dangerous thing just because people naturally make decisions based on their own beliefs. And, you know, if, if somebody who doesn't believe this thing is real, keeps a building open, it could lead to a problem and eventually, God forbid, a sickness and a death. So I would like to see the state do a better job of having the same protocols, you know, across the board, not allowing individual districts to do what they want. So I know you mentioned it briefly, but what has the COVID situation been at your school? Uh, so we had the we had the one we had one case uh, in my building, and we were down for two weeks, and there was no right. spread at all, which is terrific. Uh, yeah. And then in another building, we just had another case break out on Monday, and then this afternoon we had a second case attached to that case. So that building is not faring as well as our building did because now clearly there's some kind of spread involved. You know, I'm very interested in this, Anthony, and obviously want to get your view as an educator. Um, Schools around the country, you know, I mean, it makes me kind of sick, to be honest. I'm in Boston, as you know, and uh, they closed Boston Public Schools last week uh, because our positive test rate was ticking upwards in the city past, uh, now it's at 7%, I think it was at 5% last week. But anyway, we closed schools and including special education kids 
uh, you know, their remotes while we're keeping casinos open, indoor dining open. It seems like kind of screwed up priorities. What's your thought on how this is all being handled across the country? Because Boston's not u- not unique in that respect. No, I mean, I think it's very much depends on who, where the leadership is and what their priority is. I know Europe yesterday shut down almost everything, but they're keeping their schools open, which is right. probably makes sense. Um, but I think there's a big fear here um, within these states and within these municipalities about the economy at this point. You know, I, I think that no matter how you figure, whether it was right or wrong, the economy was decimated by what happened in, in March. And I think that, unfortunately, politically, that's where we're at. Like, I don't ever see a complete shutdown anywhere to what we saw in March ever again. I think there'd be rollbacks like you saw in Boston, where they're rolling back the schools, but not other stuff. And who knows, maybe in New York, they're going to roll back other stuff and keep the schools open. Um, I just think financially, the country can't handle it. But on the flip side of that, look where we're at. And in two or three weeks, if we're getting 150,000 cases a day and the hospitals start to fill up, I think that's going to be the deal breaker here. I think once yeah. the, the uh, medical situation goes downhill, then they're not going to have a choice and they're going to have to act whether it's going to affect the economy or not. Yeah, but I mean, Anthony, I mean, you're, you're in education. You're at a special education school. So I don't need to tell you, I mean, how damaging is another semester, another year maybe of remote learning for so many of these kids? I mean, the studies are, are voluminous about how harmful it is to them long term. Yeah, I think you have to try to get them open at this point. I do. But I think if it gets to the point where you can't safely operate your buildings, you need to make your moves appropriately. You know, I don't think we've gotten to that point here yet, and I'm not sure what exactly went on in Boston. But when you start talking about inner city schools, whether it's Boston, whether it's New York City, whether it's Yonkers, the, 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 the schools are just deplorable as far as um, – the the infrastructure, you know, the 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 air conditioning, the heating systems, the the ventilation. So you're putting kids. Half these schools shouldn't be operating when there's no pandemic. <laughs> you know, really, yeah. they're not safe. These buildings. So now you're throwing a pandemic on top of it. I think that the administrators panic a little bit and say, you know what, we're already not not prepared properly to educate our kids. So now we're going to turn around and we're going to try to do this in a pandemic. You know, this is just not safe for our kids and. There is a, a risk reward, of course, of losing the educational component. But I think at the end of the day, the safety of people still has to trump the educational piece a little bit. But, you know, I was like I read this week that New York City, they identified 128 cases in that public school system. And I know that only like a quarter or something of the kids are attending in person. So I know the numbers are skewed. But like here in Massachusetts, only 62 confirmed cases over the last month linked to school out of over 8,000. I mean, ours, I mean. Those numbers would tell me that schools seem pretty safe, are they not? What's what 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 are we missing that are that isn't in those numbers? I I think it's just the idea of as the cases grow, there might be no better you know no greater chance for spread than at a school. It's just the environment. You know, when you go to the grocery store, you're kind of walking by people swiftly. You're moving. You're not sitting in one place. Where at school, you're sitting in one place. If this thing does linger, and I'm not sure if people even know exactly what it does yet but you know if it lingers you're in the classroom you're in one enclosed space not moving for a a substantial period of time so i think the way people view it is as the cases start to grow the fear is that the schools are where the spread is going to end up coming because there's no other place out there at least not in the northeast 
where people are congregating like in schools. There's no workplace, you know, there's no work environments like that. There's no sporting events. So the only place that people are truly congregating for long periods of time are in the classroom. So that would be my guess on why, they're, why they would do that. It would, it would stop the movement of a large body of people. You know, in New York City, there's a million kids. Those, are, those kids, not all of them, obviously, but a chunk of them take the subway. You're automatically moving people off the subway. You're moving people off public transit. So I think there's a, a larger piece of, of movement involved in schools that doesn't take place anywhere else, busing and all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like everything with this pandemic, it doesn't just happen in isolation. I mean, the point you made about the ventilation and how half these schools probably shouldn't even be open during normal times is right. And it's just decades of disinvestment in our public education system that leaves these schools in these conditions. So it all oh, ties absolutely. in, Anthony. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the veto. My hope is that when this is all said and done, they ultimately realize, hey, you know what? We need to do a better job investing in our schools and not just necessarily the buildings that the kids and the teachers are in, but the, the infrastructure of, of, the, of the Internet. And, you know, we're still upgrading today. We have schools here in Westchester County, Westchester County, the richest county in the country that aren't operating because they don't have the bandwidth to run their Internet services live. Like that's why they're not opening. And the fact that that's happening in the richest county in, in, the, in the country when the school on the neighboring town is running the best, you know, virtual program in the history of mankind. That tells you something's wrong with our education system, and we have to find a better way uh, for equality within it. So as I mentioned at the top here, Anthony, you're uh, also very politically involved. You're the president of the uh, Stonewall Democrats right now. You're a longtime LGBT advocate in sports and elsewhere. Um, I know you got your on the ground on these things. You're back at school, uh, dressing up for Halloween, all that. You're patrolling the halls. So what are, what are you hearing with this race in terms of the LGBT community out there where you are, what, what, what are some of the top concerns and, and things that people are, are looking out for? I mean, I think it's, you know, as far as the presidential election goes, I think I, we all have PTSD. I think people yeah. were so stunned off 2016 that they can't even frame this, this election properly. Um, you know, I think I'm a little luckier as someone who, who's involved and someone who teaches it and has taught it, you know, for 15 or 16 or 17 years now. I, I have a better grasp on it. And, you know, I think that 2016 was a little bit of a blip. You know, I think the polling was a blip. I think there's a lot of things that happened that happened in 2016 and might never happen again. So, you know, as far as the LGBT side goes, I mean, obviously we know that the LGBT community is overwhelmingly supporting the Democrats, right? I've never seen anything like this. Um, as far as, you know, people making phone calls in New York for, for, for races in South Carolina or Texas or North Carolina, it's remarkable to see what this, what Trump, the Trump blowback movement has done uh, for the Democrats. It's, it's, it's really wild to see the amount of phone banking and postcard writing and, you know, trips to Pennsylvania that are going on. And, uh, you know, the Democrats don't win this thing. I don't know how, how we move forward as a party, uh, you know, with this kind of uh, involvement to not win. I just can't imagine that. Right. I mean, you see things like Texas has already surpassed its vote total for all 2016. Amazing. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that this morning. And I think that's this is this is a rebuke to Donald Trump. You know, right. That that's what this is. And I've been very careful. And anyone who follows me on social media, my line has been the same thing. Forget the polling. Follow the facts. Right. Forget the polling. Follow the facts. And I think that's what a lot of people have done. And I think the polls, you know, are they accurate? Probably not 100%. Voter turnout is never a friend for Republicans, ever, 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 through the history of mankind. You know, there's more registered Democrats in this country than there are 
right. uh, Republicans. So if they show up to vote, it's a problem. And then when you see the youth vote, you know, a little stat, one of these weird things that I know because I teach it, you know, in 1972, when 18-year-olds had the right to vote, I believe something like 47% of them voted. In 2012, something like 30% of 18 to 20-year-olds voted. Mm-hmm. So you, this is going to be probably higher than that. And you might see for the first time ever over 50% of, the, of that age group vote. And if they do, once again, it's going to become a very difficult election for the Republicans with that kind of turnout. I mean, I've, I've early voted in New York for three cycles now, and I haven't early voted yet because the line is an hour every time I go to vote. And right. I'll go in the morning and, not, you know, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, in Yonkers on Saturday, there are five and six hour lines to vote. And I scratch my head and say, what? what's going on here? You know, it's just people are excited and people are tired. <laughs> so I think you put those two things together and you're seeing people willing to stand in line for five hours in the rain to go vote where it's not something they ever would have done before. Yeah. What's going on with that? Why? Why the five, six hour lines in New York? That only happened in like, I think, Texas. Yeah, I think I think people are a little bit I think people are a little bit unsure. I think they don't realize how everything works. I think there's fear of election day violence a little bit. I think people are fearful of voting like on election day. And and then I think people are just excited. They want to get it out of their way. I mean, like I said, I've early voted since we started it in New York and that was three cycles ago. And I've never walked in, I never waited on a line ever. Even with the pandemic, I never waited on a line. You know, there's in Westchester County there's over, you know, there's hundreds of polling stations on election day, but right now there's 17 in the county and people are just you know, camping out and waiting. And, you know, I've driven by. Why don't the, they, the, the why, why don't they open more polling stations, though? I mean, you should have to wait five hours to vote. As AOC says, just because it's happening in a blue state doesn't mean it's not voter suppression. No, correct. And, and I think I think what's happening is I think they're realizing that. And I don't think they expected this. I think they, you throw the pandemic in and all these other things. And what they did here is they've extended the hours because each day was different. Like on Wednesday, I think it was 12 to 5, and they extended it to 12 to 9. So they have made an effort to do that, which is the right thing. But, you know, across the river in Rockland, in fact, the Stonewall Democrats, we just put out a press release today calling for the resignation of the, uh, the, the, the Republican Party chair because she's refused to agree to extend the hours. You know, and you have the same lines going on that you're seeing here, and she's refused to extend them. That's voter suppression. So, you know, it once again depends on who's in charge and, and where you're at. The Republican in Westchester, the, the chair, he wouldn't do that because in Westchester right now, there's not even an elected Republican uh, legis- legislator. They, there's not one. I think Crazy. all 17 of them are Dems. So, you know, you have to be careful. But in Rockland, there's enough of them where they, they don't want Democrats. They don't want the young people. They don't want the minorities to vote because it's not going to help them. And that's, that's the thing that I keep looking at here is the voter turnout. Voter turnout, voter turnout is a real positive sign uh, for Democrats as we head into Tuesday. Yeah, and, and I actually, it's funny you mentioned Westchester, not a single elected Republican legislator uh, from the county right now. You mentioned it's the wealthiest county in the country. I think it's so indicative of kind of where we are in our politics today, where, I mean, it wasn't long ago where, uh, you know, Westchester County was was a swing county. It voted Republican at times, uh, you know, that moderate Rockefeller-type Republican. And uh, you see this in wealthy suburban zip codes across the country. These are no longer kind of Republican voting places. They are they are turning blue. And that's uh, and that's where a lot of the money is, too. It's it's very interesting what's happening to the way our politics well, are being shaped. Yeah, I mean, the, the New York State Senate up until 2018 was, was Republican forever. We couldn't get, right. you know, we couldn't get gender through. We couldn't get... Uh, 
uh, conversion therapy ban through. We couldn't get any LGBT tools. LGBT bills through, and nothing happened. Ironically, the guy at the state senate who was holding them up was from Westchester, and we 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 beat him in 2018. The opponent who's now running for that seat as a Republican is Rob Astorino, who was the county executive in Westchester for years, who was a very big Trump surrogate and a personal friend of Donald Trump. So even locally, with that race, because that's kind of the biggest race in the area. That state Senate seat is a massive deal because it's polarizing because this guy is a big Trump guy. So he actually ran for governor uh, in – no, that was Molinaro that ran for governor. It wasn't Astorino. No, Astorino. Astorino ran for governor in 2012, I think, and, or 13. And you're in this situation where, you know, Rob Astorino is, you know, polarizing. You know, he's had racial comments over the years. He's had anti-LGBT comments over the years, you know, homophobic, transphobic. So people are mobilizing in that race. And it's Donald Trump is the catalyst again. So everywhere you look, it's a, it's a rebuke of Donald Trump. And, you know, if we win this thing, you know, I got my tweet all ready to go, you know, because <laughs> it's a direct rebuke of, of yeah. where this country is supposed to go. And if we do what we're supposed to do and we flip the Senate blue and we take the White House back, it's really going to be a pr- it's truly going to be a proud day to wake up and say, you know what? I'm really proud to be an American today because we made a mistake in 2016. Four years later, we're rectifying that mistake, and, and we're going to start to make this country back to the way it should be heading, you know, not in the opposite direction. I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, even in Massachusetts here, where we also, you know, from Bill Weld and Romney and now Charlie Baker, like at the gubernatorial level, we have still, you know, kind of that classic moderate Republican, if you will. But I mean, like at the state level, the state Republican Party is as MAGA crazy as they are in Alabama. And it seems like it's the same in New York. It's amazing how it's really become so omnipresent. The the Republican Party is the Trump Party, even in, you know, a blue state. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost hard to figure out why. Like, why would you go that 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 polarizing route of Donald Trump and, 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 and the racism and the homophobia. It, it's just such a, it's such an odd way to go. And I just don't know if the party, you know, if they lose this election, how they were going to recover. My guess is that everybody who loves Donald Trump suddenly doesn't, doesn't love Donald Trump anymore on November 4th. That's my guess. Um, but, you know, that, that's a, if you're going to, you know, stake your flag in the ground, you know, supporting that guy, that man, I, I just, I don't know how you get out of that. And I think when you talk about the, Lindsey Graham's and the Ted Cruz, those, those guys, you know, knew how bad this guy was in 2015 when he declared, because they were very clearly said that about him. And it wasn't like Kamala Harris or, or Cory Booker or Joe Biden attacking each other on policies. It was attacking them as it was a, these guys attacked each other on how bad of people they were or how bad of a person Donald Trump was. Right. And yet, now they're his biggest surrogates, you know? So it just shows, right? They say politics makes strange bedfellows. And I think these guys are willing to sell their soul and they don't want to lose a piece of their base, which is out there. So they're willing to support this guy blindly. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a rough thing to support. And I don't know how they're going to get out of this when it's all said and done and over, you know, where they're going to go with this. Cause there could be a reckoning coming. And I saw it in New York State. You know, we took the New York State Senate and we started passing liberal and progressive bills in the state, the LGBT stuff, the, the, the gun, the gun, the gun, the various gun bills, um, voter reform, bail reform, and it, the whole state turned upside down. And I think we could see that in this country in the future. I think you could see a lot of these gun bills, more LGBT bills and all this stuff come down, down the pike. And I think we could be looking at a very, very different country 
in 2022. Yeah. And the question is, is it going to be a country that everybody wants or is it going to be the opposite? And now you're going to have the blowback where the other side doesn't like where we're headed and they're willing to step up and, and do what uh, the Dems did. But the bottom line is boat parades and car parades with flags don't win you elections. Knocking on doors, writing postcards, making phone calls, that's what wins you elections. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and that kind of dovetails nicely to uh, kind of the final point I want to take with you, Anthony. So you, of course, came out uh, in 2015 to us here at OutSports as a gay uh, high school basketball coach. Uh, you're still an educator. But uh, what prompted you to make the transition into more of the political sphere? You've run for office in the past. You're president, as we said, of the Hudson Valley Stonewall Democrats. What gave you the itch? I don't think there's any better way to change things than, than being being involved in the actual lawmaking, you know, the, the, the writing of laws. Um, you know, and I don't think there's enough still LGBTQ people out there. So I think we need a perspective and we need a voice, right? So when you talk like the Republican Party, there's no African-Americans in the leadership. There's one in the Senate and there's a handful, you know, in the House. Well, how can they properly write bills for that community if there's none of them who understand the plights of the community. So I think it's the same thing. So what happened with me was I ended up in this crazy fight uh, of all things over a basketball venue. You know, our local leadership decided to remove, remove us high school basketball tournament from a venue that we've used for 80 years. And as the head of the coaches association, I took, I took it personal and I was able to rally the troops and it became a very, very crazy uh, a battle and fight over this where we went, we had lawsuits involved. Wow. And, you know, eventually they, they suspended me from, from my, from running my LGBT event because my athletic director didn't sign a form, right. And that became a big story. And it, it's just, it was this big battle that, that allowed me to really lead outside of the sports world. It was like almost a crossover world where I got involved with politicians and I just thought it was the right time to jump in. And, you know, it put me into the assembly race where I learned a lot, even though I didn't win. And then that led me to, to, to restarting the Stonewall Democrats with some terrific people locally where we have, you know, lawyers and doctors and all these other people who are involved in our organization. And um, you need to have a voice. And if we don't have a voice at the table, our, our stuff's never going to get passed. You know, in New York, some gender and, and conversion therapy, you know, we have some openly gay um, Brad Hoyleman, who's from Queens in Manhattan. He's an openly gay um, state senator. Having his voice is huge because he's the guy that pushes all these bills. And, and his, his peers understand that he's passionate for these bills because he's part of the community. And, and I think that's the biggest piece. So I think, you know, yeah, allies can help, no question, but they're never going to be as passionate as somebody who's, who's actually part of the community and who has to face the discrimination that, these, that not having, the, having these bills uh, enacted, you know, allows to happen. And I, I was talking with Brian Sims for a story this week, um, and he made a really interesting point about how he thinks LGBTQ people are very not don't just belong in politics, but we excel in politics because we have empathy. And of course, any good public policies is is based in empathy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know Brian is a prime example, and I think Brian's empathy has even taken him over the edge in some ways yes. because he's so empathetic of other people's uh, situations that he almost gets himself in trouble sometimes from the yeah. other side because he goes so over the top with it. And, and I think that's, I think that's a big piece of, you know, being a leader. And I think that's what we've now seen for the last four years is just th that lack of empathy is just mind blowing. And, you know, I'm not a George Bush fan, but I think George Bush had empathy 
And I think, you know, George Bush, one of the worst things he ever did was the flyover over New Orleans when Katrina hit. So other than that, he always showed empathy, and that was a disaster, and that could be the worst moment of his presidency. But, you know, that Katrina uh, disaster. And I think that it's important. You know, I think we naturally grow up. You did it. I did it, right? I did it until I was 35 years old. I pretended to be somebody I wasn't. I'm not sure what else you could do as a person where you have to hide who you are for 35 years to teach you a lesson. That's something that very few people ever have to do. So you're able to understand, you know, the sorrow of, of not being yourself or, or of going home at night and, you know, having these challenges. And I think Brian is 100% spot on. I don't think many people can do that. And that's why uh, LGBT people who become leaders politically are able to do such a great job leading. So true. Anthony, how are you uh, spending election night? Give me, give me the rundown. Are you watching? Do you, do you nervous? What are you, what are you eating? What is you know, that? How are you up? It's, it's, one, it's one of those weird things. It's something that I always look forward to every year because I'm generally out at parties or, you know, going to different things, even local, local races, and we don't have that this year. You know, we don't have the ability to go out. My guess is I will probably end up maybe watching it with one or two people, but if not, I'll probably watch it by myself. Um, and, and just, you know, lay low and, 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 and hopefully, you know, enjoy it. I think soaking it up and you know, watching it will probably be one of them, as being someone who's gone, who's knocked on doors, who's, who's done the postcards and been involved at a different level, I think it's going to be very gratifying. I think it's like, as you know, as a Boston sportsman, you know, I grew up watching the Yankees win championship after championship. I was at a lot of them, you know, and I could still remember watching – you know, game game uh, seven of the 2001 World Series after 9-11 as a New Yorker and just being absolutely devastated. So there is this weird correlation between politics and sports, right? You have a vested interest in it and you get caught up in it, you know, and I think that that would be such a gratifying moment for so many people. And I think we talked about this in the last time you and I, and I said, you know, an entire generation of people cried after um, – Trump won in 2016, especially younger folks in the LGBT community because they thought their world was going to be turned upside down. And most of them, their world wasn't turned out upside down as far as legally and what they could and can't do, and, but they were right. so fearful of that. So I think this is the opposite. I think we're going to see you know, people really celebrate, in some ways celebrate in the street. Will we know that night? I don't know. But I can tell you this, if he wins Texas and Florida, Biden, we're going to know that night. And if that happens, we know that, you know, the next president is going to be a Democrat who certainly has a lot of empathy. And that's something I think that Joe Biden has going for him is I think genuine. I don't, you know, every, every politician has their skeletons and their things that they probably should have done differently. But I think deep down, Joe Biden is a pretty good guy from everything I've read and watched and people who know him. And um, I think that's what we need to lead this country at the end of the day is somebody who has empathy and, and can show us how to be better in ourselves. you know. Anthony, great to catch up with you, my friend. How can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Coach Nicodemo, I tweet. Yes. Even though I'm back to school, I don't tweet as much during the day, during the pandemic. I probably tweeted a lot more. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at, at Coach Nicodemo on, on everything. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll have some good tweets out there on election night uh, celebrating uh, four years of heartache and four years of hard work to get this thing changed. I look forward to it. Anthony, thanks, man. So thank you, as always, for giving us a listen and to uh, making us part of your weekly routine. Uh, and a thanks again go out to Anthony Nicodemo for taking some time and joining us on the show this week. As I said up top, happy Halloween. If you are celebrating, please celebrate safely. But enjoy yourself if you can. Enjoy yourself. We, we, deserve, we deserve to exhale, especially this week with what's happening on Tuesday. <laughs>
So, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on the podcast next Saturday. Should be quite a week. Talk to you then. Bye.